0: Welcome to The Virtual Shift, a show looking at the seismic changes happening in healthcare with virtual care at the epicenter. Join me and my guests as we look at key cultural and policy shifts impacting how providers, payers, and patients connect, as well as how care is being reimagined both for today and the future. Hello, and thanks for tuning in today. I'm your host, Tom Foley. You can learn more about this show by visiting the program on healthcarenowradio.com, and be sure to follow me on LinkedIn, Twitter, at FoleyTom. And the hashtag, the virtual shift. We have two very special guests uh, with us today. Whitney Stewart, she is the Director of Clinical Project Management at CureBase. As well, we have Megan Coder. She is the Founder and Chief Policy Officer at the Digital Therapeutics Alliance. Welcome both.
1: Thank you. Thanks. It's great to be here.
0: Awesome. Before I get into the details, uh, there was a very interesting paper that uh, both Curebase and the Digital Therapeutics Alliance wrote. It is uh, entitled uh, Setting the Stage for a Fit-for-Purpose Digital Therapeutic Evidentiary Standard. So uh, to the audience, a lot of questions will be coming about what drove this paper, what is the, the conclusion of it, And quite frankly, where can I go and get a copy of it? Because I read it. It is a very compelling read. And relative to the virtual shift, I look at digital therapeutics as a major shift in future therapy relative to how do we move a patient from a level of awareness to wellness. It's, again, a very compelling read, very compelling uh, topic. So before we get into the white paper, Whitney, uh, why don't you tell us a a little bit about yourself?
2: Yes, so I actually started my career in bench research, doing kind of oncology research, moved into a traditional clinical research coordinator role in oncology as well, and worked in that for three years. And then in 2017, I actually moved to working in decentralized trials. Uh, And through the pandemic, kind of saw that shift. And then in 2021, I started working for CareBase. Now I am the director of clinical project management there. I support our project managers and the extended team in trial execution. And in this role, I've become really familiar with digital therapeutics. I've worked on a number of digital therapeutic projects, attended some conferences, and have been the person collaborating with Megan here uh, on this white paper. And I'm just really excited about the industry.
0: Overall. So before we uh, move over and learn a little bit more about uh, Megan, tell us just a bit more about Curebase.
2: Yes, so Curebase is a really a technology-based clinical research company. They have a product used for data collection and the execution of trials, and then they have their clinical research organization CRO component, like project management, data management, that side, as well as virtual site services, so for the decentralized trials uh, that we're doing. And we, like I said, we've worked with a lot of digital therapeutic companies. We are a particularly good fit for the types of trials they're executing and have really tried to collaborate and work with that industry to move it forward.
0: Awesome. And Megan, so uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit more about what drove you to uh, uh, establish the Digital Therapeutic Alliance.
1: Most certainly. So by background, uh, unlike Whitney, I have a slightly different um, entry point to this ecosystem, but I'm a pharmacist by training. And I did most of my work, uh, whether it was in Washington, DC or other places in healthcare policy for a good part of a decade and really focused on a variety of different areas that moved patient care forward. And when I learned about the digital therapeutic ecosystem and saw that this um, industry was really getting um, underway in an impressive way, it was really exciting to be able to bring these different entities together and really build on um, Pierre Laurent's initial idea of Digital Therapeutics Alliance and really scale and bring this to a global perspective. So within DTA, our main focus really is helping educate and enable the end users, whether that is a patient, a provider, a decision maker, a payer, or a regulatory, or a policymaker, really helping them understand what is a digital therapeutic? How can I go about evaluating these? How can I go about using them? And then how can we really use them for the benefit of patient care at the end of the day?
0: I've seen. so uh, let me ask that question. What is a digital therapeutic?
1: Yeah, so by and large, when we speak about digital therapeutics, we're looking at products that are using software to really make a disease day claim. So they're claiming to prevent, manage, or treat a disease or disorder. Digital therapeutics can be used with other technologies, hardware, wearable sensors, Uh, you name it, uh, to deliver their impact. But we're really looking at it from the notion that a digital therapeutic is using software as that generator and deliverer of medical interventions. They can support clinicians in a variety of ways. They can support medications and be used alongside of therapies in a variety of ways. Uh, But we're not looking at this as a digital therapeutic as a clinical decision support per se, letting the clinician determine what the best thing is. We're really putting the onus onto the digital therapeutic Therefore, the product has greater risk and therefore then is subject to medical device regulations, is subject to FDA oversight in the United States um, and clinical trials, of course.
0: So, uh, Whitney, how how do you go about doing a clinical trial with a digital therapeutic versus how you would do a a digital trial with a drug therapy or a medical device?
2: Yeah, so the The trials that we're doing for these digital therapeutics are very similar in design and execution to your traditional pharmaceutical or traditional medical device. I think there are some major differences, such as, you know, you're delivering it through a phone or something, right? So that actually kind of simplifies the trial in a way. But the actual trials themselves are very similar. It's more like the ecosystem of like, what trials do they need? What evidence do they need to collect? When in their product development, do they collect them? That's, that's a little bit different. And that's why we kind of came together and outlined really the whole pathway to getting enough evidence for your product, not just like the design of the trials themselves.
0: Interesting. And I know digital therapeutics can be very powerful. We had a guest on that uh, their digital therapeutic made the claim that it actually could put diabetes in remission so that's a very powerful claim because most people think that when you have diabetes you're you're ultimately it's a thing that needs to be managed not cured uh, and so there's a big big difference in you know just because you have diabetes and I have a long history my audience knows about diabetes uh, with my father uh, just because you have it doesn't mean you have to die with it. And so uh, digital therapeutics can be very powerful once you have that clinical validation. So, Megan, I, uh, I come at this from a remote patient monitoring perspective, right? Our, okay. our, our patients that we work with are uh, have chronic conditions, they have a, a medical device that's measuring their, their physiological measures, right? What's your blood pressure? What's your uh, glucose level? What's your, yeah you know, level, right? It's very specific. It's pointed. Now, uh, digital therapeutics with uh, being software oriented, I am trying to encourage this patient to, uh, towards a cure relative to, uh, as I was just saying, with diabetes. Hopefully, it's t- towards a cure. It could be, as you as you noted earlier, I think a digital therapeutic could be a balance between establishing that cure as if you were taking a, a classic or a traditional uh, medical therapy and w- working with a software program to ma- either manage it or cure it. Do I have it right in the context of where a th- digital therapeutic is positioned relative to the overall ecosystem and what it can do?
1: So digital therapeutics can be used as you're pointing out in a variety of ways. Uh, They could be used as a standalone product where that is the sole therapy that a patient is on for their condition. They could also be used alongside of a medication. Um, Sometimes they can actually be a combination medication product where the medication, and the DTX are paired together. Uh, But in that scenario, it would be the DTX providing its own intervention, the medication provides its own intervention, and then there's a and even enhanced um, intervention being delivered by that combination product. And then in other cases, we're starting to see this idea around what should be started first for a patient. And I think we're going to increasingly get into these discussions and clinical evidence will have a really critical role in this decision. But do I start a patient on a medication first? Do I start them on a digital therapeutic first? Do we start them together? Uh, What should be the cadence of that? So there are a lot of ways and that these products could be used and will be used. Uh, A lot of this is still being developed in many ways. While the industry has at least 10 and more years of experience and history, there's still a lot of evolution underway in terms of how these are really woven into the fabric of healthcare across the board. Yeah. So,
0: the FDA is still involved in validating a clinical trial, Megan, for a digital therapeutic. Is that correct?
1: So the FDA has jurisdictional oversight over all digital therapeutics, and based upon the level of risk, the agency may determine that the product is low enough risk that they do not need to do a full review of a digital therapeutic product in the same way that they would of higher risk products. So there is a category called enforcement discretion products. Uh, but aside from that, if a product is regulated by the FDA as a generally as a class 2 device, Uh, We haven't seen as many class threes at this point. Uh, Then, yes, the FDA will be highly involved um, in that process around clinical trials and what data is necessary to support the application being submitted.
0: So, uh, Whitney, when you're setting up a clinical trial, and again, much like you would for a medical device or a a pharmaceutical uh, therapy, there is some prior testing that might have occurred how do you interrogate, if you will, software, right? We, I'll, I'll interject the issue as you well know, uh, even with measuring uh, with your pulse oxidization level, right? There's this uh, understanding that there's a bias and uh, embedded into the use of the different medical devices because it wasn't the, the study wasn't robust enough, if you will, to include all different demographics before it makes a claim, right? So how do you, how do you look at software and and its integrity relative to a digital therapeutic in a clinical trial?
2: Yeah. So usually these trials aren't actually investigating the software itself. So it's really the outcomes, right? So you're looking at, they're making the claim that this is going to have a clinical outcome on a patient, on a disease, and that's what they're measuring. And so the trials really look like pharmaceutical trials or your your high-risk medical device trials where you're doing patient reported outcomes or actual measurements to see the actual effect of this product. And that's an an interesting thing about the the fact that digital therapeutics are considered a software, right, and they're treated as a medical device. There's, you know, it's actually a component that it's not the software that you're trying to validate, right? Like, like I just said, it's really the outcome and what the software is doing with the user as they're engaging with the product.
0: So, but but I would imagine your panel for clinical trial still has to uh, be inclusive of different demographics in order to establish common outcomes uh, across the broader demographic of what what the world population looks like if you will right
2: definitely i mean that's that is definitely fair and true kind of across clinical research right you need to have the demographics match what you're actually intending to treat in the future right so you need to really touch touch every type of demographic and we do monitor that so we're making sure that it's really even across or the any sort of spread is what you expect or what you want that reflects the population and and for digital interventions that's particularly important for you know treating elderly populations and things so it's like you really need to ensure that this product is usable and that's a lot of research that's done before you even get to clinical evidence generation right the these companies are doing kind of product testing, product studies to make sure that their product can be used by various demographics and is successful in just use itself, not necessarily intervention evidence that it works.
1: and actually build on to that? Yeah. Uh, sure, I think part of the interesting thing that, and building on to what Whitney just said, was, again, as I mentioned, my background is as a pharmacist, but traditionally medications do not need to speak the language that the population speaks that are using it. So digital therapeutics are different in that a digital therapeutic has to be in Spanish for Spanish speaking populations or it has to have in some cases cultural references that a patient could understand and reference and really be able to use to use that product well. So it is different in that there's very there are a lot of similarities between the clinical trial designs in many cases but How you go about doing that why you need to do that is different because a digital therapeutic is innately very different than a medication in terms of its complexity and design and overall delivery of that therapy and engagement, really, with that patient. Um, The engagement really is the critical component of a digital therapeutic. So that is an interesting factor to consider when looking at how do you design a trial, why are you doing it, when are you doing it, and so forth.
0: Yeah, I just hit the magic word, engagement, uh, because… It is engagement that ultimately changes uh, behavior. Uh, engagement educates. Engagement and education change behavior. And a combination of all that leads them on that path to, uh, to wellness if the, the patient engages. And that actually, uh, I didn't ask you to set me up with that, that point, but uh, that was actually leading into my uh, last question before we get into the paper itself. And that is, I have a chronic condition. We'll use diabetes. It's ongoing, right? And how does a digital therapeutic create that longevity? And I'm coming back every day. There are always, I would imagine, there always has to be something fresh and new in a, in a platform, and a software, in order for a patient to yeah. enter that app, if you will, and that where use that digital therapeutic on a daily basis. Thoughts?
1: So, if I could take the first pass at this. Uh... Think of digital therapeutics as you would any other therapy in some regards, in terms of you're looking to make sure that it's a digital therapeutic for the right patient at the right time for the right duration of therapy. For some of these therapies, even if you have a chronic condition, you may not need to be using it the rest of your life and its entirety. If the therapy is effective, maybe it has achieved its work within 90 days or six months or whatever the case is. So there is that notion that digital therapeutic is meant for patients duration of therapy counts, and then also the quality of that therapy and the effectiveness and impact. So uh, that is one aspect. And then uh, the other idea that we faced in the past was um, this idea around competing for thumb time around and however you go about it. But uh, if a patient has Netflix and Facebook, which was more popular maybe at the time when this was first discussed, um, TikTok or other apps on your phone, how do you compete with a digital therapeutic Uh, how does a digital therapeutic compete for attention from a patient in order to have that engagement that you just mentioned? So while there's a duration of therapy and uh, a really specific way to use a digital therapeutic, and we want patients to do that, yes, you do have to have it engaging enough and show that it's impactful enough so that a patient will be able to want to keep coming back and using it um, and really have that level of engagement that's necessary to deliver the impact of therapy that is also necessary for the patient too. So I'll pause there. Whitney, I'm sure you have another perspective on that, but at least I wanted to debug one myth, and then I may have added a little bit more confusion in the process of <laughs> explaining that. <laughs> I
2: think it's 100% about engagement, and a, a unique component of digital therapeutics as compared to other medical devices is really this agile development process, and that this therapeutic will be changing throughout its life and developing and getting really better, right? And so how do you, that's another element of how do you regulate that when it's constantly changing, the software is developing, uh, and that's just another layer of confusion or or challenge
0: in the industry. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. So if you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Virtual Shift. I'm your host, Tom Foley. We have uh, two great and, and very uh, educated folks on uh, this program today. Uh, not that my previous guests weren't educated, but this is a very uh, compelling conversation we're having here. Uh, Whitney Stewart, she is the uh, Director of Clinical Project Management at CureBase, and uh, Megan Coder, she is the Founder and Chief Policy Officer at the Digital Therapeutic Alliance. So uh, both of you collaborated on a, uh, both organizations collaborated on a a white paper uh, entitled Setting the Stage for a, a Fit for Purpose Digital Therapeutic Evidentiary Standard. What drove This uh, paper, Uh, Whitney, do you want you want to take this, Megan? Actually, okay.
1: So we started this effort really with the recognition that in the past we've heard entities say, "Well, no digital therapeutic has enough evidence." or No one is able to meet the standards that exist. But since there are no DTX-specific standards, uh, no one really knows what good looks like for a digital therapeutic or what sufficient looks like. And that is an effort that we've really tried to look at how do we start to address this um, area when we have companies that have done 12 randomized control trials, as an example, and they're still being asked for more data is that right? What kind of data do they need to be asked for? What? How do they refine that? And how do payers and decision makers understand, oh, okay, we actually have what we need. We understand this. We know what we need to do. You've presented the data to us, and now we can make our determination, as opposed to the usual conversation, which seems to go more in the line of, oh, you have some good data, but we're going to probably need some more. And then requirements will come and happen, and it just may not fit the what the digital therapeutic is or needs to be doing or whatever the case is. So we set out to do this paper. And as we were developing this paper, we ended up coming to a slightly different endpoint than we intended. Um, The fit for purpose idea really wasn't embedded in the initial onset, but this evolved and emerged as we really started to understand the unique aspects of digital therapeutics and the unique aspects of payer requirements. And then how can we start to say, well, there are pharmaceutical standards out there. There are traditional medical advice standards out there, but let's borrow from aspects of those, but also look then at a digital therapeutic and see what actually is unique to this ecosystem and what needs to be then developed as a fit for purpose, which is why we are really thrilled to work with Curebase then because they have the real world experience. And Whitney, I'll let you dive into it from that perspective.
2: Yeah. I mean, we worked on this clinical evidence task group. We were just one player really it was quite a variety of individuals from the digital therapeutics alliance and we're really able to just provide some support in some of the more heavy-handed sections the the types of trials the quality of evidence um and and just support the paper overall but it was really megan and the digital therapeutics alliance that uh, came up with the idea to create this and and determined that it was necessary
0: There was a a phrase that I always look at, Uh, again, as I mentioned earlier, I come from, I have a lot of background, but I I have a a stint in pharmaceuticals. And uh, the mechanism of action Mm -hmm. is key, right? And I always used to use that because every uh, medical therapy, uh, medication therapy had a mechanism of action. And I always say, even in content, and when you're going to a website, you have to have a mechanism of action, compel somebody to do something because you were powerful in what you stated, right? So you use that in a digital therapeutic because obviously it has to have a mechanism of action in order yeah. to create this change in this person's uh, health state of health, right? So how do that, that is, uh, I'm, I'm very intrigued on how uh, you look at software and create this mechanism of action for a patient to ultimately change behavior? Uh, Whitney?
2: Yes. So the mechanism of action, actually, as you mentioned, kind of more reflects a pharmaceutical, right? You're looking at these real heavy-handed clinical-based mechanisms of action, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, auditory motor entrainment, kind of these these things that are actually in turn having a clinical effect on the individual. And, and so the question is, yes, how do you establish that in a software? And that's what these companies are doing, right? They're actually taking their software, whatever they have created, adding this therapeutic component to deliver it through this mechanism of action. Um, And, and that's what you're testing in these studies, right? You're, you're testing did the mechanism of action work? Did Was the outcome as expected? And it's kind of so interesting just because it's outside of the context of the software and how they do it. You're, they're just establishing it and then proving that it has worked in a way.
0: Well, how does the provider uh, look at, so I I, I have this, uh, you know, this is a, an old industry, right? So you have pharmaceutical reps doing uh, details uh, with the, with a with a provider on, you know why they should prescribe their drug, right? Uh, so how do you how do you start to get providers uh, to think differently about maybe it's a digital therapeutic that should be prescribed uh, versus a drug, and and ultimately uh, get to the same endpoint or maybe assistance in getting to the same endpoint? Me- Megan, do you want to take that?
1: So by and large, as we're looking at digital therapeutic products, um, uh, it's important, first of all, to just educate providers and clinicians of all sorts on what even is a digital therapeutic. So even before we get product specific, some of the work that DTA that we're undertaking is looking at how do we work with some medical societies or other groups who can help educate their members, whether it's nurse practitioners or pharmacists or physicians or whatever the case is, psychiatrists, psychologists, everyone. Um about what even is this. So that is just a first step around this is a new modality and how should they approach it? How sh- What evidence should they look for? How do they evaluate it and recommend it to patients eventually? Um, more specifically then, you're looking at this from a decision maker evaluation. Um, DTA last year put out a value assessment guide for digital therapeutics, really with this understanding around if you're new to this industry, how do you even approach the questions that we've started talking about today, just the baseline ideas of where they fit into therapy and integration into workflows and so forth, they're eventually being added though um, increasingly into different formularies. So policymakers or decision makers at health systems or other areas are starting to say, okay, well, we've evaluated these products. We're looking at the evidence. We're looking at the outcomes. We're looking at the benefit they'll provide to us. Um, And whether it's at a private or public level, that will be added into a formulary. And then theoretically, clinicians then will have the ability to say, hey, we need to pull down, um, we need to start you in diabetes treatment, pull down the options that exist in your electronic prescribing system. And alongside of your different medications, you have digital therapeutic options and you can start to say, okay, well, evidence suggests that we should start you on this and then move to this. And then by that point, we'll be able to reassess at that point in time. So these are all steps that are happening and are, increasing. Uh, but that is, I think, part of the end goal, is looking at getting more of those evidentiary guide li- evidence guidelines, clinical evidence guidelines together, where these therapies are really starting to be pieced together in that way, um, in terms of order and preference and so forth.
0: Awesome. This segment has gone, uh, flew by. There's uh, so many more questions <laughs> that I could ask. But this white paper that was uh, written by the Digital Therapeutic Alliance in partnership with uh, Curebase uh, setting the stage for a fit for purpose uh, digital therapeutic evidentiary standard.
1: Where can I find it? So we have it hosted on D- DTA's website. Uh, that is a first place.
0: So let me let me just clarify that the digital therapeutics uh, website is www.dtxalliance.org. Yeah. All right. So uh, so with that, we're running out of time. Uh, great conversation, uh, Whitney Stewart, Director of Clinical Project Management at CureBase, and. Megan Coder, founder and chief policy officer at the Digital Therapeutic Alliance. Great job. And uh, let's see if we can uh, put another uh, 30 minutes on the uh, calendar and have a, uh, a more in depth discussion. I appreciate your time.
1: Thank you so much for having us.
0: I want to thank the show sponsors HP, HP Engage Long Lifecycle Products provides the stability, safety, and security you need, plus flexibility and performance designed for today and tomorrow. As well, Genie MD. Providing a modular, scalable, and customizable virtual care platform and clinical services to help providers extend care into the home, increasing access and quality while driving new revenue opportunities. If you missed part of today's episode, you can tune in at the same time, 11 a.m. or 7 p.m. Eastern, throughout the week, and be sure to check out the program page on healthcarenowradio.com. And remember, connect or follow me on LinkedIn, Twitter at FoleyTom. And follow the show's hashtag, the virtual ship. I'm Tom Foley. Until the next ship.